0: Once again, this episode of Ego Check with the IDM is brought to you by RPG Research. RPG Research is a 501c3 research and human services, non-profit, charitable, 100% volunteer-run organization. They provide music and role-playing game research and using collaborative music and games to help people improve their functioning and quality of life. They serve a wide variety of individuals, including those with ADHD, anxiety, individuals along the autism spectrum, and other at-risk populations, including people with brain injuries, depression, impulse control, and others in need of social skills development. You can find more information about RPG Research at rpgresearch.com. And if you're interested to learn more about the organization, I had previously interviewed Hawk Robinson, the gentleman who runs rpgresearch.com, Back in January 2017 on this podcast. So go back in time and check out our conversation. This week on the pod, I'm hosting Greg Leatherman. He reached out to me in a creative way, uh, which you'll soon hear about. And I was really intrigued to speak with him. And I'm very glad that I did because I think we had a very interesting conversation. And my intention going into this discussion was really to listen and to learn and to hear what Greg had to say with his decades of experience playing role-playing games as a gay male and he talks openly about that and how when he started playing role-playing games in the 80s it was somewhat of a hostile environment playing role-playing games and how that has slowly changed over time. We talk quite a bit about about these dynamics, his life, and his life as a gay man living in the Midwest. Uh, There's some interesting stories that he talks about, uh, which he ended up on the front page of the major paper in Minnesota, and he was unaware that that was going to happen. So that happened back in 2013 and changed his life in some unfortunate ways for a span of time. And really, it's just I think useful to hear his perspective, which for individuals like myself who are straight, it's some things that uh, I take for granted, that things I don't have to worry about that individuals like himself uh, do have to worry about. And I think for others out there, even if you're uh, accepting and tolerant and open-minded about these things, I, I think it's a very good conversation to listen to. And if you're someone who maybe is listening to this podcast and these aren't topics that you're usually thinking about, I I hope you stay tuned because I think he has valuable insight. And we also talk about uh, games and game design. And there's some love for fourth edition D&D, which always is something I'm happy to talk about. Uh, We talk about other systems, including their podcast that they're running on Tales from the Loop or which they've run in the past that I'm currently listening to. So again, I am really excited for everyone to experience this podcast, and you can uh, get in touch with me or Greg on Twitter. I'm at the idm, and Greg is at WhiteWing, and I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening. episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and joining me this week is Greg Leatherman. Greg is a founder of the VRE cast, Very Random Encounters cast. Been active on Twitter. You can find him at White Wing. And one of my favorite things that I just want to say right at the front of this episode is Greg had reached out to me last month. And tweeted at me saying, I want to be cool enough to be on the IDM's podcast to talk about gay stuff. It's life, true. Life goals. And that popped up in my feed and just hit on all of my buttons of like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> this person's going to come on the podcast and we are going to talk about gay stuff. I'm very excited about this. So, Greg, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you for reaching out. Um, yeah. Because we actually live in the same state, same we do. greater metro area. We do. We have not met yet. That may change no. at some point.
1: Yeah, I imagine it will change.
0: Yes. So you had introduced me to the Very Random Encounters podcast. Yep. VREcast, which I started listening to over the last week, and I you had kind of recommended to dive into any one of the seasons. So I started with Tales yeah. from the Loop because I really want to play that game. Haven't it is such
1: it a good game. It is such a brilliant game.
0: And I'm five episodes in and, and very much enjoying it. So I guess let's start there. What started the VRE cast? How did that get going? So
1: I'm a part of another podcast. A Pokemon podcast calls It's super effective. Okay. And bef- during that, like in working with them, I have always wanted to run D&D in a Pokemon world and combine the two. Okay. So I convinced Steve to, I'm like, let's do this. Like, he wanted to try d and I wanted to run this world. So we started a podcast called Mythical in which we played on Twitch, D&D, but in a Pokemon world. And I made all the classes and stuff. And in, in that first group, I met Travis and Logan. Who are also part of it's super effective. And just the nature of mythical, we didn't record that often. We record once every six months or so, because it was kind of a big commitment. And then it'd be transformed into podcast form. And then, you know, we'd wait. Uh, and Logan, Travis, and I just really clicked well. Like we got along. Uh, we had sort of the same outlooks on what we wanted, and I just straight up said, "I want to make more things with you guys. <laughs> like, I want yeah. to do more. Great. What should we do?" Uh, and we c- couldn't d- decide. Like, we're like, "Do we do a just a review show, a talk show, a whatever show?" And we're like, "Well, we all still really like playing role playing games. So, should we do an actual play?" And we're like, "Yeah, it's really saturated. But what should we do?" that's unique and i'm like well you know we could go back to the 80s and early rpgs and just you know randomize characters and that's always been sort of awful but we could just do it they're like well what if we randomized everything and just went with what happened Uh, and so we had a lot of discussions around what we were going to randomize what was appropriate what wasn't appropriate there are certain things we just don't we just don't randomize. Um, we don't randomize sexuality. We don't randomize gender. One, because how? But two, we never wanted people listening to the podcast to ever think, ho, ho, they're stuck playing a woman. Like that was not uh, – that didn't feel good. Yeah. So we decided like those are off me Like we're not going to randomize those, but we'll randomize – Classes, character stats, our names. The GM randomizes the entire plot, randomizes the villain, and we just like let's see how it goes. And D D was our first test and we loved it. It was like nothing we'd ever done before. And it just felt vibrant. Like I'm stuck with a character I get episode one, I get a character that I know nothing about. I have no control over. I don't know what I'm going to get. Right. And I have to come up with a complete character and then go into a story that that I have no idea where it's going. I have no idea what was randomly rolled, what elements are coming at me, and it's just this sort of exciting ride of what can we what's going to happen? What what can we do with these characters and you know, some of them get really emotional. Like I'll t- I'll tell you, tales from the loop gets gets pretty emotional based off of some of the things I rolled. So I, it, it's it's been an exciting sort of take on RPGs, and we also wanted to to switch systems every season so that people could always feel like they could jump in. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, here's a segment. Here's a game that I've always wanted to hear. Like tales from the loop. I want to hear that played. Here they are playing it. Um, And so there's always going to be hopefully something that people want to listen to. And then after listening, that will think, hey, let's see what they did with these other systems. What can I what can I get into?
0: And it's been interesting listening to the Tales from the Loop episodes and especially the character creation process, because my friend has that game, but we we haven't played it yet. So listening to it, I'm not quite sure what is the game and what is your <laughs> very random encounter process. And I clarified once. I'm like, wait, did you just say roll 1D 157? Yeah. <laughs> and that was- So explain that how you come up with all the random tables and lists because it sounds a little bit involved on the front end.
1: It can be. So Tales from the Loop is very much you build your character. You pick your archetype. You pick your stats. You pick your skills. Uh, you pick your item of importance, and you pick your favorite song, and all of that. We're like, I'm like, well, it's all going to be randomized. So, you know, I made a list of all the character types. I then I made a list. Then I figured out the spread that could happen with stats, and I had them roll that. And then I figured out the spread that could happen with their skills. Then I made a table of that, and then. I literally pulled all of the items out of the book uh, that are listed for each character class in the book has a listing. Like these are possible important items to these people. Uh, So I made all those and then I literally went to all the lists on like BuzzFeed and do you remember the 80s? Like what were all the popular toys? What were all the things that really scream 80s? And added them to a list. So I think I had a list of 89 possible unique items that they could all have. And then, uh, in preparation, I asked on Twitter and Facebook of all my friends who are my age, "What's your favorite song from the '80s?" And then literally went on YouTube and just kept adding them to a list. So when it came to favorite song, it was like roll d one hundred and I think with was like four hundred fifty, hundred fifty seven, hundred sixty somewhere. Like roll it, and then I went through the list, and wherever they rolled, and whatever was listed at that song, as I randomly added them to that list, that's what they got.
0: And so, yeah, which the, was fun to listen to. And it was also yeah. fun to hear somebody got Dance Hall Days by I think it's Wang Chung. Yeah. And I, I know that song. because I'm 42. I, I grew up with all that music and the player's like, I don't know what that is. And yeah. I'm like, no, oh, <laughs> yeah. come
1: on. I mean, Travis <laughs> just wasn't alive at all in the <laughs> 80s. Um, so in fairness and, to him, that's a good excuse. Yeah. Uh, them. Uh, Travis is non-binary. Uh, My apologies. That's okay. Um, So and that's part of also our makeup. We are on sort of the minority spectrum of things. Um, And so we play in those worlds a lot. Uh, And uh, so, yeah, like they didn't know what that they didn't know anything about the 80s. And Logan and Lee were kids in the 80s where I was. You know that was my teen years. That's my high school. So like that, I knew that setting really well. So I was excited to play it, and they were excited to play in a sort of remember what that was like, but in a in a slightly altered universe. Um, so it was a lot of fun. But like the game is very controlled. Like it's one of the game, and that's the thing that is hard about some game systems because modern game systems are very much build the character the way you want and we don't do that (laughs) so like I had to figure out ways to effectively randomize Tales from the Loop so that they so that they could still have a complete character without having to make those choices
0: and with uh, the random elements and like you said coming into a game you're not quite sure what you're going to get and even before we started recording, you were talking about coming from a theater background. And do the other players have similar backgrounds or is it quite a variety?
1: It's a variety. I think we all dabbled in theater a little bit. I mean, it's, 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 it's the safe haven for gays in, in school. It's theater. It's a safe haven for gays in a lot of places theater is. So I, we all have that sort of background a little bit but we all have a stronger tie to role playing games and so we all know how to make a fun character and we have played a lot so it's a lot of pulling on that and you know they approach it different you know i went through we got a theater degree so how i approach a character is very different than what they they do But we all sort of – I've developed a lot of the improv skills as we've gone along. Like, here we go. I have to come up with a new voice. I don't know who this person is. I have to figure out what their voice is. I have to figure out what their backstory is. And i got a week to do it because I just found out what my character is.
0: And so the VRE cast has been going on for two years now?
1: Yeah, I think it's about two years, yep.
0: Okay. And you've been featured – I think the D&D had selected you for a Ravnica podcast yep. in the past, yep. and you're going to be one of the podcasts involved in the upcoming Descent.
1: Yes. Which out is exciting. Yeah, the live event out in Los Angeles.
0: So, yeah, it's very exciting. So a, a live show, I understand?
1: Yeah, so there'll be, like, the live celebrity shows, and then there's going to be an entire podcasting studio where all of us podcasters will be, and there will be of people who will be in there, like, who can pay to get tickets to sort of watch all of the games as they're being done? So I guess we will have some sort of audience doing our podcasting stuff, which will be exciting. Um, there's a lot that's still sort of being figured out and factored, but it, it looks like to be if people watch the stream of many eyes, it's going to be a similar type event.
0: Was that just a year ago? Or that- yeah, it was just a year ago. I think. Okay. So it sounds like they're. Well, I, I imagine they're going to try to do this once a year. Well, so I would with... guess. <laughs> I mean, pattern pattern
1: of two isn't necessarily a pattern, but it's a good hint uh, that they'll have like a major release of whatever their next arc will be, and they'll probably do a big event for it. So it's kind of exciting.
0: And, and how long have you been playing games? The role playing games is go back to teen years, or
1: well, my first game was in 1981 when I was 11. Uh, so ever since then,
0: okay. And it sounds like you've played just about every system that's been out there, or have you stuck with just a few favorites?
1: Um, I've played a lot. Like, most people don't realize... My first game was actually Gamma World. was not Dungeons & Dragons. I came to Dungeons & Dragons. So it was Gamma World, Marvel superheroes, D&D for me. Um, and then my brother and I also played Gangbusters and Star Frontiers and uh, James Bond and a bunch of different ones. And then when I went to college... Uh, I ran a Marvel campaign for three years, I think. And that was like my main game for a long time was Marvel superheroes because I just love – I just love that system. Good old phase rip. It's a brilliant superhero system. Okay,
0: um, I've never played that.
1: Oh, it's so good. It's so bad and so good. It's so 80s, but it's – even for being – an 80s product where you know 80s was kind of like not refined it does so many things really well the fact that it's just a percentile dice and every power is run off everything you do is run off that and what you just hit green yellow or red and that tells you how effective you were and there's a lot of actual narrative freedom in that that sort of was built into this 80s game that still feels very dice-controlled and chart-controlled. Um, so it was very interesting. It's a good system. Um, and then after Marvel, then I did 3.0, 3.5 D&D, which I have a lot of issues with. <laughs> um, okay, Just balance, people. <laughs> you, there needs to be a balance, <laughs> which is why I actually loved 4th Edition. Um, I think 4th Edition was brilliant in what it did do which was clearly define roles clearly was speaking a video game language because I played video games all my life and also clearly was looking at player balance to get rid of that awful a uh, stiff breeze would kill a wizard but at level 15 they can you know blow up a continent Whereas a fighter can kill anybody up until level eight, and then they are useless. Like, why are you here? Everyone was
0: powerful right away.
1: Yeah, and fourth edition was like everybody can do everything, and it speaks in a universal language. You didn't have to worry about spell slots. You didn't have to worry about so-and-so has a different set of rules, and -and so-and-so has this set of rules. Like, everybody could talk about what they could do in the same language, which made 4E – incredibly easy for both GMs and for players. The issue being is it really needed that computer software that never showed up for the reasons that it didn't show up. And so, so many powers relied on the fiddly bits and it was easy to forget the fiddly bits without something reminding you. So some classes felt less powerful because it was so easy to forget. Well, I just put, minus two to attack on all these goblins but i have no way of marking that um and so it was frustrating um and combat could go very long if you put soldiers in something they were basically just hit points to burn through that didn't do anything but just sat there to make combat long um 4th edition was not perfect, but it did do a lot of things. Like, I'm so sad that bloody is, not, bloody is no longer a condition in the game. Yes,
0: I've said that too. I love that condition.
1: Bloody was so brilliant and you could it was so easy to say to pay players. Well,
0: and nar- like, narratively yeah. it made sense and you could trigger okay, now this bad guy X, yeah. or now this player can do Y. And,
1: and they got rid of it. I mean, we, everybody still uses it. Like, literally, it like they're bloodied. Like, everybody <laughs> knows what that is.
0: You sense they've lost about half of their strength. Yeah, you sense they
1: are half as strong as they once were. And, like, 5th edition, I think, is a brilliant edition. It it streamlines a lot of things. I can't believe it took us this long to figure out advantage and disadvantage. It's such an intuitive system. Like, how did we not – have we not been using this for years? Because it's so good. Um. And I think fifth fifth edition came out with a much more balanced approach of saying there's RP and combat and we are gonna really in the books balance both. I think a lot of people complain that fourth edition was combat heavy and I'm like, Well they didn't like you could tell they didn't feel the need to tell you how to role play because role playing isn't complicated. Combat was complicated, so yeah, the book focused on combat that doesn't mean it was any less of a role playing game, but people took it that way, and I think that ultimately sort of spelled the doom for fourth edition and allowed Pathfinder to flourish. But yeah, I've been playing RPGs forever, yeah,
0: well, and they go back to something you said early on. you had mentioned that being in the theater was a safe place. For yourself as a gay man, and I'm wondering, over the years since the '80s, how safe has the role-playing game community been for you as a gay individual? Not,
1: (laughs) not. So, one of the good things about the internet. So, I'm one of the last. We kind of consider I'm I'm considered an old gay. You know, I'm in my late 40s, almost 50, Um, and so I'm one of the last generations that's considered one of the that's considered uh the gay generation that grew up isolated, we didn't have support in high school. We didn't have groups. We didn't have the internet. We grew up alone. I came out to myself in 1985, which was at the height of the AIDS crisis. So I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have anywhere to go. And none of my media
0: helped. <laughs> and where were you growing up at this time? I was I've lived in Minnesota my entire life. OK, so you're, OK, so local. So
1: locally here and rpgs were actively hostile for a long time like a lot of them had homosexuality as a possible insanity role you've gone insane and now you're attracted to the same sex it's like what no <laughs> that no that's not a good thing or a curse that was put on people or it was always portrayed as a very negative thing some type Um, of
0: malady or illness. yeah
1: like you're plagued with the gay ha like mm. it's like the the horrible gender changing belt it's like really why is this a thing Mm -hmm. come on come on rpg designers but big businesses are conservative they don't want to upset their base and until well I would say until recently, but still, that's not very true. Uh, Corporations have finally come around to the idea that gay people pay for their products and should probably be sold to. And that has brought a change around in the products that we buy. So since probably about 2005, you're seeing more gay inclusion in the RPG products, but that doesn't really exist otherwise. And we are mentioned – Offhandedly, or as an option, or we're NPCs, and often those NPCs are just substitute for straight people. Like it's an innkeeper and his husband instead of an innkeeper and his wife, and it doesn't tell anything about our stories. We are we are slowly being brought into existence, but we don't have anything behind us, and I. I'm open with this to a lot of people. I tend to avoid playing with strangers because I don't know what's going to happen to me at that table because being gay and being an invisible minority also means people will say horrible things to you. Um, I saw a thing on Twitter that just summed it up that gay people always remember everything you said about gay people before they told you they were gay. And so people say horrible things and then you're like, well, you're talking about me. And then they get real quiet or worse, go to emotional or physical violence because being a gay person in the world just honestly is like, well, I come out. All the time, like every new person I have to weigh, am I going to tell them about my life and what is my possible violence threat here? Like how safe am I? So approaching any random group is sort of an act of weighing the pros to the cons. And a lot of groups, you just look at it and go, no, I am going to have troubles here.
0: And there was something you, you wrote to me as we were going back and forth uh, before the show and talking about possible topics to discuss. And you had said, gay life is being prepared for violence from strangers. Yep. Which is such a sadly accurate and powerful sentence. And it, it sounds like that's been the case for decades.
1: Yeah. Just walking down town like two years ago, walking across the street, a group of men at uh, – just at an outside patio screamed, hey, faggot, just because I was there. like, And at that point, you have to decide how much danger am I in right now? Mm-hmm. Where do I go? Are they going to – if I respond and defend myself, there are four of them. There's one of me, and I have no clue if – anybody around here is going to help because nobody said anything to them about screaming that out loud at a person on the street. And it's 2017. (laughs) Like, you know, plus, as I said, I came out to the whole state accidentally.
0: Uh, So I was going to, I was (laughs) going to mention that. So um, (laughs) there was an article in the star tribune, which is, I think pretty much the biggest paper in, in Minnesota and the twin cities area. And front page, what was that, two years ago? Uh, 2013. 2013, so yep. so longer than that ago. Yep. Time's a blur. I have a two-year-old. Oh, yes. I can't keep up with.
1: Time is a, yes. definitely a blur. <laughs> so
0: 2013, you're on the front page of the paper. Uh-huh. And you did not know you were going to be on the front page of the paper.
1: Nope, did
0: not. So how did that happen?
1: So we were interviewed for the Star Tribune about, Now that same sex marriage was legal, they wanted to talk to a bunch of people. So we did an interview and then heard nothing from the reporter for six months. Like, just figured, oh, well, the story died. Like, they ran everything they wanted to about it and it was a dead story. Uh, And then the reporter contacted us and said, oh, you know, we've changed the nature of the article, it's going to be much more about the wedding industry and some other things around it. We still have everything that we're going to use from your interview, and we'd like to take uh, pictures for the paper. And at the time, at the very beginning, it was going to be just a feature in the variety section. I said, oh, yeah. She's like, yeah, we just like to have pictures for for articles that are on the front page. And my brain said, oh, front page of the variety section, <laughs> which Rice. is four sections in. So we go, we take pictures, we take pictures of the venue we're going to get married at. So we got married at the Mill City Museum, great museum. If you come, go visit it. It's fabulous.
0: And when you're saying we, you're saying you and your partner. You're my my, my
1: husband, Brent. And so we did that, and she's like, okay, great. It should be out in like a week or two. Um, And then it appeared online first, and it was on the front page of the online digital, which isn't unusual because news stories just tend up on the front line. So everybody had sent it saying, oh, look, you're on – the page. we're like, oh, cool. Nobody really reads the digital version because it was still 2013. And we're like, oh, cool. That's fun. And it will run off when new stories come. And so I went to work downtown. And as we're walking through the skyways, I'm noticing all these people looking at me. And I'm like, what's happening? What is happening? Because everybody has that look like, why do I know you? And I'm like, mm, something's weird today. And then my phone rang. And my mom's on the phone, and she never calls me. And I'm like, Mom, what's up? She's like, why are you on the front page of the paper? And I'm like, what? She's like, you're on the front page of the paper about marriage. And I said, no, we we're supposed to be in the variety. She's like, no, you are on the actual front page. Page And as I walked past all the convenience store, I looked, and there's my picture staring at me from the top of all these stacks. Above the fold. Above the fold, like same-sex marriage, Greg Leatherman, (laughs) my picture, and all these people looking at me. And I'm like, oh, boy. (laughs) Life
0: just got a lot more interesting.
1: Everything got more complicated and about – Seven hours later, I removed my last name from most of my social media because I did not want to deal with it anymore. Um, because okay, what
0: kind of feedback were you getting?
1: So there's a lot of feedback, you know, from people I know and people who are supportive. They reach out to you first, and they're very like, "Oh, it's so great to see you! Thank you for for standing up. Thank you for being so brave," which is like exhausting. And then the and then and then the things happen the religious creeds, the the lengthy you're burning your you're all sorts of horrible things you're attacking children you're ruining marriage you're destroying society from complete strangers who don't know anything about you just find you and send you just Awful things, And I'm like, and I'm done. I am going to make it harder to find me. Because the more this happens, and the more people keep doing this and pointing out who I am, the more I can't walk safely. Like the more I have to worry about if I go outside, who found me? I don't have – a hard name to find. There are exactly two of me in the United States, so pretty easy to find. And so it was that moment of I could be in really big trouble. I could be in a lot of danger right now. I don't know who's gonna do what. Luck nothing happened. Like I removed it, it died down, a lot of people none of the threats were carried through. It was scary for a little bit. Uh, and, you know, eventually everybody moved on. You know, it became a thing. There were bigger fish to fry. But for about a week, it was a uh, I don't want to live this life anymore. I'm really afraid of all of you strangers. I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do to me, if anything.
0: Well, and I think the idea of you know something else you had, you had talked about as something to discuss is the concept of safe spaces. Yeah, and you even said just walking downtown a couple of years ago, you know, twenty seventeen, that these things still happen.
1: Mm-hmm. And we had a car stop. We had, we were walking our dogs, and a car stopped to scream at us. Like I'm just walking my dog, but you felt it was necessary to stop and threaten me. It's like you still feel it's necessary to make me understand like I haven't lived with this for 40 some odd years now that you could hurt me at any moment. Thank you for stopping to ruin my day. Thank you. But people sort of misunderstand what safe spaces are. Like
0: yeah, so what so define that.
1: So a safe space does a lot of things. Um you know I openly say that I pretty much only I only have most of my social groups are all uh people of the LGBT community. Um all of my D&D groups are 90% or 100% gay people. Because not only do you not only are you safe, like you you are fairly certain these people aren't going to physically hurt you for who you are, but the bigger aspect of it is You don't have to be the educator because every well-meaning person wants you to answer every question and help them understand and help them be a better person and guide them through this process. And you just want to play a game. And so safe spaces are not only about our physical safety because that's still an important aspect, but it's also a mental aspect. Safety, where we don't have to constantly justify our life. We don't have to constantly answer for who we are. We don't have to be afraid to say, oh, this is my husband or my boyfriend and I went out and then have that horrible moment of silence after that is dropped, which has happened at a game table where you say, oh yeah, because we're so used to talking about our lives like I'll say, oh, my husband, and then I'll realize nobody said a word after I said that for 30 seconds now. Record screech. And I, for, it's like when you think I just forgot where I was, I, sh- it, it's horrible. So like, I shouldn't have said that because now we're at that crossroads. I don't tend to have that problem because I'm a confrontational person, (laughs) and I'm like, yeah, I said it. I'm wearing my giant gay D&D shirt, (laughs) so let's go. We're going to have this conversation because I am tired of it. But that is a moment that when you're in a safe space, you just no longer have to – you don't have to change your pronouns. You don't have to think – four sentences ahead of where the conversation's going. You don't have to constantly edit yourself. You don't have to constantly cut pieces of your life out because you're you just want to play a game. You don't want to be a part of a religious lecture. You don't want to be a part of possible violence. You don't want to be subjected to the lispy gay villain because gay equals evil. Like you just you don't have to worry about that when you're with people who are at least on the same page. We, you know, we all have wildly different views, but at least in that section, I can talk about my husband and not get the silence, not get the stares and not get the questions. And so it's just a mental break from every other aspect of our day of having to come out like when I switch bosses at work. I have to spend a week contemplating when am I coming out to my boss? When are we going to have this conversation? What repercussions is this going to have on my work? How are they going to take it? Do I you know, – I've already got all my listings to HR ready and I've got the calls and I'm documenting all these things. Because I don't know how this conversation is going to go. And this is my boss and I'm not protected. I can be fired because I don't have protections. Um And so we live in that world like people don't sort of understand that gay people, they think you come out once and that's it. You come out all the time. You have to consider every moment when you're talking about your personal life. What does this person know? What am I getting into? Is this safe? And when you get into those places, when you're with people who are at least on the same page, it's like I don't have this weight on me anymore. I can just enjoy my evening, right? Like everybody else does.
0: And it's a a privilege for myself as a you know heterosexual male to talk to anybody about you know I have a wife or Mm -hmm. you know I'm dating this person or that person. And it's it's not it's not a headspace that I have to be in.
1: Yep. And And nobody will say to you, "Why are you bringing your sexuality into this?"
0: Right. Because it's just it's just sort of assume that's the default.
1: Yeah. Like when I when I bring up that, like if I say my character is engaged to a man, I will be accused of sexualizing the game, Mm -hmm. which has happened multiple times and still happens. Like feedback, what this gay character is sexualizing. Why does sex have to be a part of this game? It's like it's not it's no more than than if I said they had a girlfriend. It's the same thing. But that's what we get accused of all of the time. And it's frustrating.
0: Yeah. And I wonder, you know, you said you you know, certainly to stay in those safe spaces. I wonder, and this thought is just coming to my mind, why did you want to come on here and talk about gay stuff? So <laughs> and I, I mean that sincerely. Because a lot of people can't.
1: A lot of people just can't get out of the safe space. Like I I don't have a problem being the educator. I sort of realized that a long time ago. I also realized that I spent a long dark time alone. And one of the things that we did with our show, like very random encounters, we are very we are very pro-gay. We live all of our universe live and exist where Nobody has a problem with people being gay. Like we decided we were going to go the utopian route and you can be gay. And we're telling stories so that any people out there who are looking for representation can find it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who live in fear who think they are alone in this world, and you're not. And I think it's important for people to stand out and say hey this is what we see in the world here's where we are you're you're not alone we exist but also to make people aware that there are problems like you don't see them but there are there are a lot of people who are afraid of you and you don't think they should be but you've done nothing to change that perception and so i think Part of what I would just want to do generally in the world is to state, hey, here are things that happen. I exist as a as a semi, you know, it's not hidden. I've done multiple podcasts. People know that I'm a gay person. So I feel like let's do some more education. I'm I'm in a headspace where it doesn't bother me to talk about these things. I don't get emotional too emotional about it. I still get emotional about some of it, but like I have ways of coping with it and feel that it's good to talk about these things so that people are are aware of them and aware of the world that they live in. And so that we can try to make it better because really, we should really just try to make it better, particularly for men. (laughs)
0: Like
1: we need to make it better for men's emotional well-being because we're doing a real bad job.
0: Yes and it goes a, a few things on this you had you know the example you provided where you're downtown and you know people are, are are shouting out things that's a that's a horrible situation and i think the the really frustrating thing is the majority of the people i would imagine that were within earshot of that likely didn't agree with it mm-hmm. and, and no one stands up nope. no one no one says that's not okay and I think that is a big concern. Where it's almost it's like this silent majority, mm-hmm. where I, I think you know definitely in in my circles and people are are gay friendly and you know are very um, I don't want to say accommodating because that sounds dismissive, but are accepting. Yeah. And at the same time, they're not out on marches they're not confronting this sort of day-to-day aggression microaggression that happens it's almost like people are assuming like well it's 2019 this stuff doesn't happen anymore we've moved on it's fixed everyone's fixed
1: they all can get married it's fine
0: yeah like (laughs) and i think this applies to racial issues as as well it it us it, folks in privilege need to do more.
1: Yeah, it happens to women. Like, yeah, it's so it's so hard because, like, a visible minority, it has completely different sets of problems than the invisible minority. And when you got the combo of both, it's like, come on, <laughs> like women and people of color get it right. Like they can't hide from it. Mm-hmm. Um, gay people you know bless you if you can pass you know those people just can sometimes float through and just be like you know what i pass and i don't have to deal with it and i i will just keep this a secret inside me that will slowly rot inside me because i'm too afraid to bring it up and i don't want to invite violence into my life and nobody suspects so i can pass and being able to pass is such a weird privilege um, that like I have and haven't benefited from throughout my life. Yeah. Like I'm not great at passing, but I I can sometimes like if I keep my head down and just don't say anything and people don't hear my voice, um, usually they can make a lot of assumptions about me, you know? And if I go through as I was taught to like lower my register and talk more like a man, Then, you know, I can get by through a lot and not have to face anything. And there's just always a level of shame when you have to do that. But you're like, I have to do this because I just need to get through this until I can be sure that I'm okay. Because I'm in a large airport and I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I just don't know. So I am going to like change everything about me to just get through this event and i have the ability to morph between the two to some extent uh so i have that privilege where a lot of people don't and visible minorities can't and they face another thing but it's it's sometimes like people can visibly see what's happening whereas if somebody you know those people screaming faggot at me and I didn't react. It was easy for everybody to assume that it wasn't affecting anybody out on the street. And it gives them that sense of, well, nobody got hurt because nobody reacted um, because they can't see it. And so it's really easy. It's easy for people to say, well, I didn't see anybody, obviously gay. So it's fine. They were just being rude to somebody or they were doing that guy thing where they were, you know joshing each other and you know, calling each other those terrible names. And so when you're invisible that way it's it's easy for people to think you don't exist or that your problems are solved because they don't see your day to day life. And they, don't, they can't pick you out of a crowd. Well, they can't pick a lot of people out of a crowd. Like some of us, you can tell. <laughs> like but, some people just don't pass.
0: But again, as a, a straight male, it's not It's not ever something I've had to consider. Mm-mm. And it's not something I've had to consider this month, this year, 20 years ago. And again, that's, that is a privilege to not have that mental weight of making those decisions of when am I going to try to blend in? When am I going to be myself and i i just don't know how many people realize that like about about themselves like if you're a straight person out there listening and and maybe you're accepting and you're totally on board with with gay rights and how much of a challenge it is and and i certainly don't understand I'm, i'm empathizing
1: i always challenge straight people i'm like okay tomorrow go through your day And every time before you talk about your significant other, stop and think about if you have to change their name, their pronoun, or your relationship. Just go through the mental exercise every day when you think about talking about that. Just stop and try to make note and think, okay, here would be a chance when I would have to change something about them. Like – my husband Brent has a masculine name. Most people will assume that he's male. Like I can't – if I have to hide, I have to change his name mm-hmm. to something else. Or, uh, yeah, I live with Brent. And then you get the, oh, you're roommates. That's weird at your age. Yeah, it right. really is, isn't it? You think we something else might be going on since we've lived together uh, for 26 years now. Bachelor – like – we literally have family members, extended family members, who still say that to us. Oh, you bachelors living that life for 26 years? Right. We got married. You were invited. I understand that you are actively ignoring this because you just don't want to deal with it. But
0: mm. Well, two, two topics I want to touch on, and one you kind of hinted at earlier, but – Talk to kind of return to the role-playing game space for a bit. You talked about things changing, hopefully things improving. Um, you talked about playing a lot of D anD D, and I certainly think with Fifth Edition, there's been efforts to be more aware and mm-hmm. assertive.
1: I mean, that's um, and that's disruptive. Jeremy Crawford's direct yes. influence. Good. I yeah. mean, I love Jeremy. Jeremy and I have known each other for for many many years. Um, Jeremy and I met because we were in an all-gay world warcraft guild because again you go to your safe spaces so i've known jeremy a long time um and so i was very thrilled that he was a part of a major role-playing game to bring about some of those changes like
0: for those of you don't know jeremy crawford is the game's lead rules developer yeah
1: yeah great great guy i love jeremy
0: and so, so what? How have you received the the changes or developments, evolution, however you want to describe it, in, in recent years from the published content? It's getting better.
1: You know, I I think we are still at a point where gay experiences or or gayness is laid over what could easily just be a straight experience. Like, there's not a lot of nuance. Um, it's still. Uh, these gay innkeepers or this prince has lost their betrothed and that patrol happens to be a another man. But it's still very much the here is the straight experience where you get married to one person and they are in love with each other and they exist as a couple. Um and there's no sort of ambiguity around that. Like part of the gay experiences is figuring out who you are and a lot of games still have not touched on what that experience actually is like. Um, particularly when you're having to figure out how do I fit into the society? What is my role? Um, and I think for like a major flagship game like d and I think it's probably more important that they start to present what we consider the idealized world where gayness isn't a problem. It never has been a problem and they just exist. And I hope that we'll start seeing more variations of that where, you know, the gay couples are existing major gay NPCs that exist and are, are part of their life. And you get, sense into that like we are getting there it's just bottom line companies don't want to ruffle too many feathers and there's an unfortunate vocal minority that just doesn't feel that we should be again injecting sex into our role-playing games um and so they have to toe a very careful line um you know pathfinder's gotten a lot is a lot looser they don't have a huge flagship they have a wider variety of gay characters which again kudos to their designers for doing a lot of iconic things with those characters and i think we're getting better but we're still in where we were in the infancy of media where a lot of gay characters are still used as lessons for straight people like hey they have a, a rough life. They don't fit into society. Oh, they're sad. Oh, they got killed for being gay. Like those stories are still really prevalent and they're important, but they shouldn't be the entirety of what we're doing. So I'm happy that like D&D is at least starting to go down towards the idealized world view, which I think ultimately will help everybody. Because I think it's important for people to become really comfortable with gay relationships, so that they can tell the difference between a gay relationship and two men that are friends,
0: two men that have been living together for twenty some years that have quite the bond. Yes, versus a married couple. Yeah. Well, it touches on something else that we were going back and forth about it, and you hinted at a few minutes ago. Just the idea of male role models in general. In, in popular media over the years, certainly you know in D&D, but in TV, in film, and how affection and friendship between male characters has been displayed and interpreted over the years. Yeah. And we were going back and forth about, well, what are good examples of male characters who have an affectionate relationship that does not have any type of sexual... Yep. It's not a lot. It does seem like a short list. It's not a lot. Where it's not played for laughs or it's not joked about. And it just happens to be uh, two men who are friends, who have a bond, and they're affectionate, and and that's that.
1: Yep. Not a lot. So go. <laughs> like, so like – and we we asked. So there are a few. Um, one of the – the tough thing is like everybody points to Lord of the Rings because RPGs. And it's like it's really sad that we have to look to a story based off of World War One, based off of a man's experiences of men bonding together in a terrible war because there's still that hint that the affection and closeness – comes because of tragedy and we still live with that aspect that men only express affection towards each other after tragedy
0: or part of trauma
1: or part of trauma that it just can't happen in real life um the other thing is like There have been some better examples, like Logan brought up Jake and Finn, which I sort of – I get from Adventure Time, but also they're brothers. So there's that sort of tint like, well, they grew up together, and the rules are different for family than for strangers. But one of the good examples is recently, like Last Airbender, Aang and Sokka have a very solid, good friendship that's supportive, and they do share affection and say – affectionate words towards each other and portray that. And that was in like 2010. Like it took us that long to get there. You know, we went through that horrible no homo phase where people would say, like, there's that whole, like, I love you, man. No homo. Like, really? That's just bad. Yeah. Like all
0: the bromance movies.
1: Yeah. Oh God. I hate the term bromance so much. Like the fact that we have to label close male friendships as being romantic because that's the only way they can exist. But a manly romantic is like, why can't they just be friends? Like, why isn't that just what friendship is? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't we don't label two women having a close friendship as cis manse like.
0: It the fact sound, that just sounds awful. it's just awful,
1: but they're just but like women are allowed to have um, like are allowed and expected to have emotional friendships like that and when they break that norm, if they have you know more masculine quote unquote friendships with people, people are just as upset about it. but like men suffer a lot because emotions are bad for guys that emotions that aren't anger are bad. And we're not supposed to have them. Like I can't tell you how many like children's books that were like, "Oh, little Bobby wanted to cry, but he didn't because he endured the pain." Like, or he could have just cried. Like I cry all the time. <laughs> like it's fine.
0: We're I will all- say having a two year old, and it, it, certainly where my sensibilities lie, the books are better now.
1: They're better now. Yes, we're getting there's, there.
0: There's, there's a lot of books. And just my my wife and I, it's like the little the little book of feminism. <laughs> you know, there's all these books about you know what makes a family, and some yeah. children have two daddies, some children have two mommies, and like there's a lot of books like that that exist now that probably in the you know 70s and 80s they were they weren't out there
1: we didn't so I always say this I always said to people gay people didn't exist in the 70s and 80s they were like unicorns like oh sure I've heard of them I've never seen one <laughs> right <laughs> you know and then like the 80s happens like oh I've seen them but they're dead so mm-hmm. you know I always sort of considered the the visibility of gay people out Actually undeniably existing had a negative effect of men running away from emotions even harder because the thought, the mere hint of possibly being gay is the worst thing possible thing so no emotions no affection nothing towards another man because I cannot be considered gay and it's like you can and not be gay like you can be affectionate and have emotions like we are a complex society you're allowed to have that but there has been such a societal and media push of men don't exist that way and shouldn't um, that i think is an even bigger problem it's why i think not only does gay representation matter for all the gay people but gay representation matters for all the straight people so that you can define and learn what a gay relationship looks like versus what two men who are affectionate towards each other in a friendship look like like they're they are different things we can tell when a straight couple's Married and in a relationship, and when a man and a woman are just friends. Like, we need more of that across the spectrum so that people can have those eyes and can say, it's fine that all of these things exist and we are just not there. And it's so hard to look at media. Like, the other day I was lamenting, I'm like, I just want to find stories of two men who are friends and are affectionate towards each other, who support each other, who maybe even say, I like you, and it is next to impossible to find. That's not a joke. Or part of Godzilla just destroyed our entire city and country, and we're the last two people who survived. Oof, that was a lost. I love you. Like, you know it's hard and i think it's does such a disservice to teaching men that it's okay to feel and to have a close friendship because having lived in isolation and pulling away from society i know the damage that can do to you and straight men are are doing that where they are relying on women to fill their social needs and emotional needs and that's not fair to women and it's not fair to the men that are doing it like you should be able to get that met somewhere else and our media just refuses to show what that looks like it is so frustrating
0: i've had conversations with with friends not about this specific topic but just this idea of like what's taught in schools and like where do you get your education about about sex, about racism, about history? Like where do, where does that information come from? And it's sort of this debate of like well, school should only have their lane, but really it should be up to parents. And my thought is, well, a lot of parents aren't equipped to handle or to have these <laughs> conversations in the first place. So it's almost like this trickle down of Ignorance is a strong word. Um,
1: no, ignorance is a fine word. But well, see, the th- I, I, it, it, I
0: do think I do think something systematically. I think that's what it comes down to. That there's these systematic issues. Yeah. That well, I mean, not one or two people are going to change it. Like everyone needs to acknowledge, look in the mirror, and be like, "I'm part of this process." Yeah. Well, it's the same. It's the same problem we talked about earlier. You're relying on parents who are
1: unaware that the problem exists to address the problem. Like you're asking people who are steeped in the problem to address and change the problem with tools that they have not been given. School should stay in its lane. That lane is education. This is part of that lane. You teach us about society. You teach us about history. You need to teach them about all of history and all of society and not – the goal of school in my view is to prepare them to enter the real world, and in the real world, gay people are going to be your coworkers. And if you don't know how to handle them, you're going to get in trouble real quick because if they're like me, I'm going to call HR and get you on, <laughs> on a report because I won't tolerate it.
0: Well, and I have this background in, in psychology, so I have learned about all these social psych experiments where if you dress a baby in pink, everyone treats it as yep. a, a girl, so they're all touchy-feely with it. And if you dress the same baby in blue, they're all rough and tumble with the baby. Like <laughs> So maddening. It's And I have this awareness of, you know, you walk through Target and they have all these cute little mm-hmm. toddler clothes, it's like, you know, lady killer and I could put that on my son. It's like, I'm not going to put that on my son. Well, also that that to me is a problem. And I imagine for many people, they don't think twice about it.
1: No, it's like they don't think twice when you ask a th- uh, kindergartner, do you have any girlfriends in your class? Wink, wink. Like, but if if we say that a kid at that age thinks they're gay, how could they possibly know? I'm like, you just assigned them their future wife and their five, but you have no idea who this child is, but you've already, cause that's acceptable in our society. Like it's fine to romanticize our children, but when it comes to gay relationships, all you can do is sexualize gay relationships. You you people don't romanticize or understand the romance behind gay relationships. They refuse to see it. Um, like people are like, what's your gay life? Like, am I like gay life is real boring?
0: <laughs> It's a lot of making dinner and doing laundry. It's, it's a lot
1: of like we we got our patterns. We go get groceries. We we go out on date nights. We make time for each other. The only thing is, is we don't have kids because we don't want them.
0: Yeah, and I have you know family who are a same sex couple and they have a, a child, and yep. a boy, and like their life on a day to day basis, it's like running the child to school and to activities, and it's it's the same, but it's it, not right. Right, It's the same, is the same, it's is the same plus baggage. <laughs> plus like, a lot of complications.
1: Like I can't – like I, when marriage became illegal, I always can't express to people how much stress was released off my life, especially because my husband ended up in the hospital with an emergency appendectomy. And the fact that I could say to the staff, I'm his husband, and even though his parents were there, they defaulted to me. Yeah, Mind-blowing. I'm like, thank you. (laughs) Like, if nothing else, that one act of being able to sign a piece of paper and talk in a language that everybody else accepted as authoritative, life-changing. Like, shaved 30 years of stress away. I'm like, I am protected for the first time in my life.
0: And again, something other people just Just take for for granted. Well, of course my wife will have the ability to make medical decisions if I'm in a coma. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean – and there are so many stories that we all – all gay people know of, especially during the AIDS crisis, of families coming in and removing the person that took care of them out of that person's life, shutting them out completely and taking everything from – taking their home that they built together because – Until 2013, we had no legal recourse. Like that was six years ago. Six. Until up until, and it's Mm -hmm. still fought. It's still in states. Still, hospitals refuse to listen. Still, families contest wills, steal people's homes because they didn't accept that lifestyle. And it, it still happens. Like that is the day to day reality. And it's like, Six years ago, six years isn't a lot. It's not. (laughs) It's it just happened. No. So it it, you know it's like we live in that world, like, but also part of the gay experience, like to get off the like men thing. Part of the gay experience is awful. It also is realizing you can't you can't trust your family. (laughs) Like like the fact that your family will always love you is not a guarantee for gay people that is not a that is not a sure thing they could easily kick you out and they do on a frighteningly regular basis and like that's part of i think media could also show is like yeah gay people understand that we can't trust anybody we don't Like the foundational, the people that are supposed to have our backs, we can't trust do. Our family, we cannot trust that that relationship will hold. You can't. You can't take that risk. It's like people are like, why aren't you out yet? I'm like, well, I'm still dependent on my family. And because of that, I can't risk not having that there until I can get self-sustained. Like that is a common gay story that I will come out once I can stand on my own two feet or know I have somewhere to go.
0: Mhm
1: because I can't rely on family and that's something that I think a lot of people like you most people can expect I can go to my parents and ask for anything and they will support me because I'm their child and gay people always think after I tell them I may not be their child anymore where do I go right wow and it you know homelessness is huge Suicide is huge. Like, we have a lot of problems in the gay community because we live with it. Um, But I think part of that also just feeds into – there's so much baggage around it that hasn't gone that men are afraid of it and therefore still – like, it's part of why they pull away from – any hints of it like that taboo exists and seeps into their behavior where they just don't have friendships and it's a massive problem
0: so what can i do what can people listening do straight like what straight gay like what what needs to happen
1: i will say so one amazing thing that I didn't realize was missing from my life until I started working with my with my very cast mates I have never had a friend group that once a week just will all randomly tell each other that we love each other if you do nothing else start just start telling your friends for no apparent reason that you love them and appreciate them make that one change in your life And you will be shocked at what it does to your mental state and how it fundamentally changes your relationship. Like Lee posted on um, Twitter a while back, she's like, I've never had a group of friends until VRE that have been so open with how much we appreciate and are affectionate towards each other. And she said, I can't imagine why. Everybody doesn't do this because it's such an amazing feeling to be able to look at somebody and say, I am so happy you're in my life and I love you for being here and being my friend. And it's unequivocal. Like you can't avoid that emotion. And if everybody just did that one thing, especially men, if you just looked at your best friend and said, I appreciate you. I love you thank you for being a part of my life it's like trans it's just so transformational but if you're playing role-playing games if you're going to run a game have like have the city guard be affectionate towards each other or support each other or have your npcs just be super friendly and close. Like you have examples. You can look at Lord of the Rings. M- mimic Sam and Frodo. Mimic
0: Merry and Pippin. Is it Pippin? Yeah, it's Pippin. Yeah. I like my example from yeah. Point Break of Johnny Utah and yeah. where Yeah. <laughs> which I think is a legitimate it example. It is. It
1: is absolutely just apart from the criminality thing. Apart but, from the know.
0: criminality, which I said. I said if you yeah. can set aside the criminality and lawlessness.
1: But like – you can you can have that you can have an NPC you could have a male NPC be affectionate towards a person's PC that you're friendly and not have it be romantic, not have them hit on it, but just say, "Hey, I support you. I got your back. If you go if you go in there, I will be there to support you." Like you can use those to to display what male friendship should be, and it's super simple and don't back away from it. If the person balks or makes a joke out of it, don't, don't back away from it. Like, Oh, I was just kidding. Like, no stick with it. Cause if we can sort of teach men at the basic level, it is okay to express affection and appreciation and have those emotions of I'm happy. You're in my life. That alone will start to change things. Also, don't don't be like even if you just reskin a straight couple as a gay couple, it's still a it's still a good step. Like you can just have them be there. I always laugh because you know people play D anD D suddenly become medieval historians screaming for accuracy when a gay couple is introduced. I'm like, okay, we just had a man shoot a fireball out of his fingers and blow a dragon out of the sky. But now we're going for historical accuracy because there's a gay couple. If a man can blow a dragon out of the sky by whispering a word, two boys can kiss. It's fine. (laughs) One would think. It's fine. It's It's fine. It's fine. We've existed throughout history. We've been here for a real long time. It's it, we weren't invented in the 70s. I, pr- I promise we we we've, we've lived throughout history, yeah, uh, w- with various forms of success.
0: What you had set an agenda for coming on the show, yes. and I wonder did, did we did we hit that agenda?
1: i sure we went all over the place. We covered everything. <laughs> I mean, I could run a series with you about all of these things about representation, about all this. But I think as long as we plant the seed of we need, to change. we need to change for men's own good how they approach positive emotions, and we, we are social creatures and we live by our stories. So if we start telling stories that have male affection and male friendships that are meaningful, that aren't a joke – we can start getting rid of a lot of the problems that really plague men. Men are very isolated creatures and it's getting worse. And I don't care if you never have a gay person in your campaign. You know what? You'll, if you come at my table, spoiler alert, there's going to be gay people in my campaign. But if you just have two, friends that are solidly friends and you are willing to tell that story great that it's a, such a strong foot in the
0: right direction yeah and i wonder from you know what you were talking about before with staying in safe spaces and almost like you know staying in that lane a bit of a selfish question but why was i a safe person to reach out to
1: you weren't but i took a risk Okay. I mean, so I looked, b- believe me, if you don't think I didn't scour your Twitter feed and then try to find your real name and then scour Facebook and every aspect of Google to see who you were before I jumped into this, you're fooling yourself. I do my research. Like, I know I will look um, and say, what it, is this? A, an avenue is this is this a good is this a is this a person i can at least have a conversation with and yes i did like i looked at your body of work i looked at where who you were i looked at the things that you've said i and at least said you know what even if we get into an argument it will be an argument on x level not a gutter level but you know that's that's pet and parcel of what I do. Whenever I interact with new people, or I'm going to put into a new situation, or I have to contact somebody, I'm digging to see what can I what can I find. I'm going to go in prepared, so I did my research. So kudos to you. You had a really right. good Twitter.
0: I, I, I passed the, te- <laughs> passed the whatever test. whatever the test was. I I seem to uh, have I, the test made is
1: right. nothing openly homophobic within the last scan of twitter
0: <laughs> it seems it seems like a low bar clear
1: <laughs> it's a it's a low bar that almost nobody clears
0: well i <laughs> very much appreciate your risk-taking and uh reaching out to me uh last month and like i said when i when i saw that tweet it just it uh, just was eye opening. I was like, "Yes, this is what, this has to happen." <laughs> and I went about. The, I was like, "Who is this person?" Because I hadn't listened to the podcast before, and you know, I did some background work on my end. Uh, so I really appreciate your time, uh, your openness, uh, your willingness to to talk about these things, and, and not things. It's your life. It's my life to, to talk about your yeah. life, and I, I don't, I don't want to do anything to. Uh, diminish that at all And if people are listening to this And uh, if you are if you want to how, how can they listen to the podcast Or if they want to reach out to you How can they go about doing that
1: uh, Easiest way to get a hold of me is Through Twitter So at White Wing um, I'm there a lot uh, Very Random Encounters uh, We have a website uh, VRE.show You can find us there You can find us through iTunes Or any podcast feed Under Very Random Encounters Or at VREcast on Twitter um, we are all there, and uh, we use Twitter a lot. Um, I'm harder to find on Facebook because Facebook requires first and last names, um, so my Facebook is pretty much locked down. And if I don't know you, I'm probably not accepting your friend request because yes. I've just I just have had experiences. So um, it's probably easiest to find me through Twitter. But you can find the show at VRE, at VREcast on Twitter. And if they
0: want to support you, is there, the VRE cast has a Patreon.
1: Yeah, we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com uh, slash VRE cast, I believe. Just go to patreon.com and search for very random encounters and you will find us there.
0: Excellent. And they can is the uh the episode, the descent, is that going to be taped and that'll be up is videotape or podcast? I, I believe
1: the podcast will be released in their feed at some point i don't like a lot of those decisions haven't been made yet or if they haven't made they haven't told me yet so okay just watch wizard space uh for more information and as soon as i know i'm plastering it all over twitter so
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes i'll be like hey here you follow white wing and you'll definitely yeah you'll definitely hear about it and definitely if you haven't listened to the pod which i was in that camp about a month ago uh, like I said, I'm listening to the tales from the Loop campaign. It's been very entertaining. I'm excited to go through. I think there's 18 or 19 episodes. Yeah, there's 19. And I'm on episode five, so I got a ways to go.
1: You got a, you got some stuff coming up. <laughs> I, I
0: I get that hint from what you're saying, so I'm sort of eager to circle around and have a discussion again after I yeah. get caught up. I will uh,
1: gladly discuss. Um, One of the greatest things that we do. So one thing I love about our show is after every season, we have an after show where we discuss – one, we discuss from the GM what we randomized. So I can say what went into making the plot that they went through. But also then we just sort of decompress and talk about what happened. Like Call of Cthulhu is also one of our series, and I made some choices in Call of Cthulhu that I didn't tell – uh, my team about and the results were way better than I expected. But also like like people point to that episode, which we all in very call the episode <laughs> <laughs> as just like one of those things that like it's like we captured lightning in a bottle with that episode. Um, and we've touched very close to it since. But like we talk about that in the after show, like how did that happen all of our fears going into what happened in that episode. And uh, so it's it's really nice. I, I'm, I love our after shows because we get to sort of decompress our feelings around, you know, the characters that we played, what we thought, what the GM thought, and then we take uh, people's questions and answer. So um, it's one of, the, one of the things I love about our show is that after every season we decompress.
0: Yeah, and i think that'd be a good idea just for groups to have Yeah. there's a lot of talk about a session 0 and laying the the foundation for a campaign but i think when you do finish an adventure or to to have a session where you just debrief
1: yeah like after it an it would be useful like just you know for long-term campaigns, sometimes you need to have a conversation like my character's motivations and desires have changed, and everybody needs to be aware of that because when you start pulling a group in a different direction, people are going to resist. So it's really good to have moments where you say, "Okay, let's let's have a session zero point one where we recalibrate where, where we're all at, uh, so that you know we can eliminate." the sort of weird tension that builds up because um, it does happen like you're telling emotional stories and so it's always good to just start to take a break and say hey let's chat about where we're at and make sure we're all on board excellent
0: well i hope uh, well let me know if you're up for a uh, another conversation
1: absolutely
0: PowerPoint in the future uh, absolutely is, i think enjoyable i appreciate you reaching out and uh yeah don't hesitate if there's other stuff we should be talking about let me know
1: oh sure yeah, Twitter. I mean, I'd I love to come back on. This is sure. fun. And I want to be on that Star Wars stream so bad. <laughs> I want to play my Jedi Jawa so bad. Let me let me play Star Wars. I've only ever gotten to run Star Wars. Let me play, people. Let me play Star Wars.
0: Oh, are you talking about what uh, yeah. you and I were discussing? Just yeah, recently?
1: I want to play Star Wars. I never get to play Star Wars.
0: Yeah, that sounds fun. I, I, I'm i hoping I can cajole him into into doing that for us.
1: Yeah, put me on it.
0: I will I will let him know. Let me on
1: it. I have a video camera.
0: I think well I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off with this cuz it was like the the cutest thing in the world. My my son today I was changing him and he said something and I had to do a double take. I'm like, "What did you say?" He's like, "What would you, what would you up bite me?" I'm like, "No, Chewie's a friend. He won't bite you. He Chewie bite me?" No, 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 no. He's 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 okay. He's a friend. And he's like, "Okay." And he was calmed down by that
1: so just, Star Wars story for the day. Just don't cheat in hollow chess and you won't get bit.
0: Right. Yeah. And there, I could have gone the whole like sarcastic, like, well, he would rip your arms off. He would rip you your arms careful. off.
1: He's got child nightmares for
0: years. Exactly. About chewing.
1: Yeah.
0: He's, he's scared of the alligator at the Mall of America. So.
1: I don't I don't blame him. <laughs>
0: He was all excited to go there. And now all of a sudden, like, he's yeah. just like scary alligator. Like, all right.
1: Yeah, that happens. I was scared of dogs. And then my mom's like, nope, we're getting a dog.
0: We'll, we'll skip Rainforest Cafe from <laughs> now.
1: On. Yes. We'll just, Which we'll just is wise. There. Rainforest Cafe is kind of a bit of a
0: yeah. it's a bit much. Well, we are getting far afield. But uh, thank you once again.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll be in touch.
1: Sounds good.
0: OK, thank you, everyone, for listening to my conversation with Greg Leatherman. I really appreciate his willingness to reach out to me. I'm glad I passed his litmus test, uh, which seems like a low bar, and I I hope other people out there on Twitter are kind of thoughtful about the things they write and how they might impact people. So really appreciate his willingness to, to come on and talk about these subjects, and I'm very appreciative of everyone out there who... Listen to the entire conversation. Uh, once again, you can reach Greg at WhiteWing. Uh, you can reach me at the IDM. Also want to thank the sponsor of today's podcast, uh, RPGresearch.com. Definitely go to their site, check out their services that they provide, including um, a real good list of a lot of the peer-reviewed research that's been done over the years that demonstrate the positive effects of role-playing games on individuals, which I know I've interviewed some other folks in the past about that topic, and they're really doing some great work. One of the best ways you can support this podcast is by subscribing on iTunes or Podbean or wherever you're getting your podcasts at. And if you have the time, a free way to support the show is to share it with other people, to give us a review on iTunes. Always appreciate that. And if you are more interested in getting involved in supporting the podcast, and some of the other creative things I do, you can check out my Patreon site. It's patreoncom the iddm. And as you heard Greg talk about, they also have a Patreon for their VRE cast, and you can find that on Patreon too. Been really enjoying their podcast. And since recording that episode, I've listened to several more installments of the Tales of the Loop campaign. I think I'm into episode nine or ten at the moment and he is correct it does go in some interesting emotionally laden topics and i imagine that's just going to continue to accelerate so i'm curious to see how the final half of that podcast season turns out Uh, so give that a listen Uh, once again thank you for your time And we'll be back in the future. I have some other guests uh, in the process of being lined up and scheduled. So, uh, you know, subscribe to the feed. And when new episodes come out, you'll get notified. Take care.